Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And welcome to the leadoff. No Brandon Kylie today. You'll be back next week. It's wedding season for Brandon Kylie, I believe. In with me is Kramer, the Kram Dog, who's uh, always in on Bink Sundays. That we have space throughout the season or Bink at night. What's up, Kram Dog? Hey, what's going on, Bink? Ready for some sports? I freaking love Saturdays, man. I do. Like college game day, I got it on now. Love this. Love the atmosphere. Love the college football intensity. I love the schools and the towns getting excited to see if ESPN is going to pick them for college game day. This show's just become a staple. It really has. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. It's just become a staple of college football, man, just to get you ready for the slate of the day. But is there anything, and I, I know there's some people that, like, on and off the board, whether they like college football or not, how can you not like it? May, they have a book out there. I don't even remember what the book's called, but it's 100 Things to Do Before You Die, or it's like bucket list items, right? And one of them is pick a high school team and go to all the games. You know, the pageantry of high school football and, you know, guys trying to play, you know, for the front of the shirt, not the back of it to get the college scholarship. And just, but pick a team and go to every game. I recommend that with college football, too. I mean, even if your team sucks, go out and watch them because it's a lot of fun. College football atmospheres. But go to a good one. I mean, go, make sure it's a fun. Like, go in the Mizzou, great atmosphere. K-State, great atmosphere. Kansas is working on it. Kansas is working on it. They're not there yet. They're not there yet. But Nebraska, what's going on here today with this big game they have with Ohio State? This is passion. I recommend the SEC. I do. Kind of an SEC homer. But I recommend going down there. If you want to see 95, 96,000 people. Crane Dog, did you watch Notre Dame and Georgia last weekend? I did. What do you think after the third quarter? You get 96,000 people. You turn the lights off. You make the stadium red. Everybody pulls their cell phones out because cell phones have replaced the uh, lighters. And everybody pulls their cell phones out, turn their cell phone light on. Wasn't that insane? Yeah. It, it's like, it's you, always something different. It's always something that's like, compels you to be like, oh, wow, this is awesome. I mean, there, there's great atmospheres in sports. Nothing like oh, yeah. the, the, the uh, 14 and 15 postseason for the Kansas City Royals. It was intense. Or a Chiefs game and everybody's excited and they're setting a record. But like Arrowhead, that's that's as close to a college atmosphere as you can get. You know, in, in Allen Fieldhouse for the Kansas Jayhawks, and I'm not a Kansas fan whatsoever but it's these type of environments are sporting kansas city the environment that they've produced and i've said that we're lucky here in kansas city because some of the finest venues in sports happen to be right here and i I just got this idea from college game day i have something else i'm going to talk about here i'm gonna talk about ned but this college game day and everything this stuff gets me juiced it gets me excited you think about this cream dog what would you say is arrowhead stadium the hierarchy of nfl stadium you didn't live here you never been here, and you said, I got to go to one NFL game. Which one is it? Where would Arrowhead fall in line? On which game I'd go to? No, which NFL team would you pick? Say, I got to go to oh. this environment. You just, say you're, it doesn't matter if you're, you're just a fan of the game. I kind of want to go see uh, uh, Bills. Damn it, Kramer. I'm saying, would would, you, where would Arrowhead oh, fall in line? Oh, oh, wow. If it would go online, probably top five. No, I'm with you on that. I mean, there's nothing like going out and drinking with those guys and, like, jumping through a table and lighting yourself on fire, the Bills Mafia. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, whenever they play the Chiefs and do come into – they're not this year, but they normally they, do, they go meet up on 45 Highway at a restaurant up there. They go to it every year because the guy's from Buffalo. Oh, wow. So they all go up there and they meet and they hang out. But the whole Bills Mafia is there. Like, literally, when they come in because they wrote about it on the Buffalo News. But Arrowhead's one of the best environments oh, in the NFL. Is. Seattle, Green Bay, whatever you – but if I didn't live in Kansas City, I didn't want to go to Kansas City. I mean, it's just one of the best venues in professional football or professional sports. College basketball, Allen Fieldhouse. I'm not a Kansas fan, but again, I'll tip my hat. That is a bucket list item where a lot of people say, i got to go to Allen Fieldhouse. So that's one of the best. Rupp and Cameron Indoor and then Allen Fieldhouse. It's, it's right there. It's in the club. Right in their backyard. Sporting Kansas City, one of the best environments in MLS soccer, right in our backyard. I mean, we got all these great venues like right by Kansas City. And not only that, if you want to go to the Big Ten game, drive up a couple hours up north to Nebraska. 
boom, you're there. You want to go see SEC football? Go down I-70, see the Missouri Tigers. Want to see Big 12? Kansas, Kansas State. Or if you want to drive down to Arkansas, it's not that far. Going to Fayetteville is not a, not a far drive. I'm just saying, we're kind of in the epicenter of a lot of sports fun in Kansas City. I, I don't know what it is, but I see this and I'm like, man, I want to I want to go up to Nebraska and watch this game. But I want to talk about Ned Yost. Because last night, and I know you're a big baseball fan, Kramer. You played it up at Northwest. You were an all-home run no, or all-strikeout or home run guy. I respect that because that's the way baseball is, buddy. But that's why I like you, Kramer, because you get it. And you don't care about any other stats. You just want to win. This That's what the Kansas City Royals are, man. They just want to find a way to win. And I, I watched that with Ned Yost. I mean, that, that ceremony they had for him before that game, that brought back a lot of kind of baseball in Kansas City. It did. Like seeing Ned Yost walk out there and see the fan appreciation for, for a group of fans that didn't want Ned in the beginning. The hashtag Yost did a lot of fun with this and, and, and the hashtag, the third base tree, all this. But I think people realize, sometimes you don't realize what's gone until it's gone or when it's going to be gone. And you think, man, you know what? We had a kind of, we had a kind of good. And Dayton Moore, who I consider the best general manager in sports because of what he did in Kansas City, baseball's tough. It's tough. I mean, you got to hit on it. And with all the Royals minor league players, you know, that came in here, you got to nail those. And Dayton Moore did because wait, wait, you wait till his 2018 draft comes up here. Wait till the first rounders, you know, like Brady Singer and Jackson Coar. Wait for that draft. Uh, um, Chris Bubich, Daniel Lynch, Bolin, all these guys, the Fab Five, whenever they get here, they're going to be good because they, they, they struck on pitching. But when I see that and think of where the Royals are and where they were, small market teams don't win a lot. I mean, St. Louis, it's technically a smaller market, a small market, but they do spend a lot of money and they got a billion dollar TV contract. Some of the Royals don't have. St. Louis has it. But Kansas City has been a football town. I'll say in the 80s, it was a baseball town. It was. And in the 90s, it became a football town. Marty Schottenheimer, Carl Peterson. Tip of the cap to these guys because they created that environment, made Arrowhead the place that it is. And it became a football town. No matter if you weren't winning playoff games, but won since January 16th of 94 until last year when you finally beat the Colts. Because that won. That won down in Houston. But they had gone, what, 21 years without winning a playoff game. But people still went. They still went. One of the worst seasons, the worst season I've ever seen in Kansas City sports, they still cared. They still went to the game. They wanted Pioli out. They wanted to change. They flew banners. But don't mistake that for passion. That was passion. Clark Count was having, you know, breakfast with uh, season ticket holders, you name it. It became a football town. But in 13, the Royals gave you a taste of it. Because I, I've seen it, you know, going to Fan Fest and doing shows, you see the fans. They used to do it out here in Johnson County became way too small because then it became much bigger. You go to Bartle Hall and then it became expanding Bartle Hall because Bartle Hall has got these dividers. You can make it bigger and bigger and bigger. Then they had to do what's 2016. They had to do delayed entry to go in the fan fest where you had to buy a ticket for a certain time to get in there. That was incredible. That was incredible. The, the fact that and everybody wore Royal stuff. And I've always said, if there was ever a red Friday, people could just go to their drawers, find their red shirt because people have chief stuff all over this town. But with baseball, when they started doing blue outs and stuff like this, it worked. people had to go buy Royal stuff. Like most of the Royal stuff that you see, it's relatively new. Now, Chief stuff, you might see even going back to Sean LaChapelle days or Priest home jerseys still making an appearance. Like people have been old school and have Chief stuff forever. But most of the Royal stuff, bro, is, well, I guess it's getting kind of older now because we're in 2019, you know, 2014. Because 13, they went all the way before they were officially eliminated the final weekend of the, of the of the season. Like, we're here the final weekend. It was against the Chicago White Sox. And then in 14, they played the White Sox, and they clinched, and they went to the playoffs. But I'll never forget what Ned Yost did for that. And just seeing him and the acknowledgement of the players, the respect that they had, the four gifts that they gave him, that was cool stuff. That was cool stuff. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to remember Ned. And here's the thing. I can, he, Dayton Moore, which is a complete and total rock, like, Dayton Moore is unflappable. I mean, he was emotional talking about Ned. And you saw what Ned meant to him. You saw what he meant to him. Those guys carried out a dream. They carried out a vision. You know, like Carl Peterson and Marty Schottenheimer bring in Chiefs football to prominence in this town. It was, it was a ghost town in the 80s, Cream Dog. I used to have season tickets for 75 bucks in the 80s. Yeah, I'd take the bus. 
in high school and stuff. We would go to Arrowhead for 75 bucks a year. I remember one year I didn't have the money. I sold my radar detector for my dad so he could come up and scratch. But it was cheap. Nobody went. It wasn't fun. They made it fun. Dayton Moore, Ned Yost made baseball fun again in Kansas City. They just did. They made watching the Royals or listening to the Royals in every night occasion. Whether it's background noise, you're doing your work, whatever it was. What are the Royals doing? What's the Royals score? What are they doing? It became household names. Denny Matthews became a part of your life. Rex Hudler, you know, uh, Ryan Lefevre, they became a part of your life like because you watched them every day. It became a soap opera every night where you flipped on. And people like Salvi and they liked Hosmer and like Moose. What are these guys doing? Oh, look at Salvi. He's jacking around again. You know, he's making fun of Lorenzo okay. That became fun. And that was tough to do. Dayton Moore built this team. If you read his book, he, he built the team around the ballpark. And he built the team around the ballpark to succeed. The Royals didn't always have the most money, but they found a way to win. And they got players like Moose and Salvi and Haas and these guys to go and make, make shrewd moves at the deadline for Johnny Cueto, Ben Zobrist. You know, you get rid of five pitchers. But seeing Ned there, I mean, that was – the Royals have been, become a big part of this town again. For, for a while, the Royals were a forgotten thing. They were racking up 100-loss seasons. I mean, they've been doing that the last couple of years, but it didn't matter because we know there's good stuff coming. You know why we, we care? Because they've done it before. They've done it before. You know, you took this 100-loss team, and they, they went to two straight playoffs. They won a World Series. You had 800,000 people downtown at a parade. You've seen it. You believe in it. Like, there's no question in my mind Dayton will do this again. No question. And as I've said before with Ned Yost, I do respect the fact that he stayed. He knew he was going to take losses. He knew his overall record when in five years someone goes on baseball reference to look at Ned Yost's managerial record, it's going to have a bunch of losses. Because the last two years, he took a couple hundred losses added to the column. He didn't have to. He could have retired in Georgia, been away, but he wanted to hand it off when, when the team was right. When the team was right, look, look at the minor leagues now. The minor leaguers are here in town now. You know, they're getting their, their awards. They were here last night. Uh, you know, Khalil Lee, Brady Singer, all those guys, Brewer Hicklin, Chris Bubich, who led all of minor league baseball in strikeouts, by the way. He's on the horizon. And Khalil Lee had, what, 53 stolen bases, which was... Uh, which was third in all of minor league baseball. So the, the third leading stealer in all of minor league baseball, leading strikeout, all with Kansas City. But Ned saw this coming. Four teams. You have to go back to the 04 Indians. Four teams won a crown in the minor leagues. This is unbelievable. This means your minor leagues are good. And, and there for a while, the Royals' farm system was depleted after that run. They traded away pieces to get where they wanted to go. They traded away Will Myers to bring in James Shields to change the culture. Now, James Shields didn't want to ring with us, but he went to the World Series with this year before. But they depleted the farm system, but they built it back up. They've built it back. That's what they wanted to concentrate on. They did. Ned Yost took the bullets, stayed with the Royals, handed off. Handed off, which is exactly what he's doing. But when I saw him, you know, get honored and people clapping for him, good. Like, Ned deserved that. You know what? Tomorrow, his last game with the Kansas City Royals, I hope he gets a nice ovation. Because he's been a lot this town. He deserves a statue. He deserves his number retired. He deserves all that. Because he made baseball relevant in Kansas City again. We're lucky. We're lucky here. We've got the Royals to put a ring on their finger. We have the Chiefs to the Super Bowl favorites. We expect the Chiefs to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. Little old fly little over flyover country, right? Little old flyover country. And again, if I was mayor, I'd buy some of that farmland around KCI and I'd put a big big middle finger in the crops. You know how people do those crop designs? It'd be a big middle finger. So when anybody flew over Kansas City. That's what we think of you. That's what we think of you. That's why I shouldn't be mayor. <laughs> That's why I shouldn't be mayor, Cream Dog. Good luck with that if you are mayor. <laughs> but anyway, seeing that last night, that was cool because it, it did bring baseball. And I'm a football guy by nature. I really am. But I've loved the baseball. I love going out and cover the Royals. Enjoyed covering the Royals during that. And I go out to a lot of games. I go to six, you know, 60 games a year. When I can, 60, 65. I mean, they're, they're 13. I mean, I went to a bunch. But that way, I like baseball. I like the sports in this town. I do. I like sport. I love seeing the college football teams doing better. We'll get to that a little bit later. My man Pete Sweeney joins us at 1030. But coming up next, some interesting quotes from people around the NFL about the Chiefs, including people that have been on the station. We do that next. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to the leadoff. Jay Binkley in for Brandon Kiley. That's right. Don't forget tomorrow. 
Tomorrow, we will talk some Chiefs. You got Pete Sweeney and Kent Swanson, Arrowhead Pride uh, pregame show. Pete and I taking your calls and addressing the game. Later on, because the Royals play 215, because Major League Baseball does this last day push, which it really doesn't matter. It's just about seeding right now in the American League, basically, National League. Playoff teams are set. Ten playoff teams are set. Rays, A's, clinch last night. Hats off to the Rays, man. Nobody goes to their games. They don't spend any money. You want to know what analytics does in baseball? Look at the Rays. That team is 100% analytics. They don't spend money. Nobody watches them. Hell, they're talking about playing in Montreal and Tampa, just because, which is completely stupid. But hats off to them, man. That team, that team traded off all their players last year, and yet look at them. Look where they're at. It's crazy. Hats off to them, Kramer. Hats off to them. Um, good stuff. Uh, Pete Sweeney joins us in a little bit. But the Kansas City Chiefs and Detroit Lions uh, square away tomorrow. And uh, and on the injury report, we saw Matt Stafford yesterday questionable with the hip. 131 straight games. We can get excited as we want. David Blau is the backup. He's an undrafted quarterback out of Purdue. Dude can play, but he wasn't drafted. But don't forget what Gardner Minshew did against you. A sixth-round pick, 22-25. He looked pretty good. But the Chiefs and Lions tomorrow, the undefeated Lions, which is uh, which is not going to last very long. No one's taking the Lions in the Survivor League we have, by the way. No one's uh, crazy enough to do that. Ron took the Giants, believe it or not. Uh, he, believed, he believed in the New York Giants. But the Chiefs and Lions tomorrow go at it. But the one thing about it is for the Chiefs, Damian Williams didn't practice this week. He's out. Tyreek Hill is out for this game. And... Eric Fisher is out for this game. Think about what the Chiefs are doing considering these guys are out. I consider left tackle one of the top four positions in all of football. Quarterback, shutdown corner, pass rusher, left tackle. And not necessarily in that order. You can make an argument that the quarterback, then the left tackle, the most, especially with this team, you're protecting the MVP. You've got to be good. And the Chiefs have been good at pass blocking. The run blocking has been suspect much better last week than it was two weeks ago. But guys are stepping up all around for this team, and it's what makes them impressive. Here's Therese Paler when he joined the drive earlier this week. It's amazing that even without him, you know, the offense looks just as dangerous. We're pretty close to it's still functioning at a really high level. Like, it's still not. To tie the number one player teams have to take away, and you'd be seeing way more, even more Kelsey and even more Watkins if he was out there, which means that the offense would be functioning at an even higher level. He's talking about Tyreek Hill. And yeah, I've heard a lot of, well, look at what Sammy Watkins is doing. Look at what Demarcus Robinson is doing. Tyreek Hill stirs the drink. You want to see this running game get better? And granted, Darrell Williams looked great last week. I like Darrell Williams. But this offense will look better with Tyreek Hill. It can't go anywhere but up with this guy. He's the most dangerous weapon in the NFL. And he's widely regarded as that with defensive coordinators. Then he's assigned two guys to Tyreek Hill. You watch the production of this team when he's back in the lineup. Think about the AFC title game. Belichick wanted to take him out of it. Sammy Watkins stepped up over 100 yards. Big game. But if you have so many weapons, you have Kelsey and, and Tyreek Hill, and you want to try to take these guys out of the game, it's tough to do. It is tough to do. And they've been doing it. So what the Chiefs are doing, and they're not playing, you know, East Tennessee State here. They're playing Jacksonville's defense. Baltimore. I think Baltimore is a very good team. I know they made it close. Baltimore is a very good team. I would consider them. I consider the Chiefs and the Patriots on this level that's not matched by anybody else. Steelers, <laughs> fall from grace. Jacksonville in the AFC title game two years ago. I do think that's a relatively decent team that the Chiefs beat, and we'll see when the final records, how many wins they have, 9-10, wherever they end up. I do think it's a, it's, a, it's a winning team. It's a plus team. The Ravens, certainly a plus team. It's a dangerous team. Well coached. Wink Martindale, great defensive coordinator. But the Chiefs stepped up. And they play tough teams outside of the Raiders. Here's what Brian Baldinger had to say about it doesn't matter who's playing. I think that whoever's in the lineup is, uh, you know, is going to be expected to play a role. And when they're open, they're getting the ball, no matter where they are. And so, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it makes any difference right now who's in or who's out of the lineup. I mean, they're still just dynamic. That Ravens defense is really, really good. They're really talented. They have an incredible scheme. Wink Martindale is amongst the best in this league. They've got great talent on that side of the ball. And, you know, they still went up and down the field on them. That was uh, Brian Baldinger talking about the Chiefs. And he's right. 
And it's Therese talking about the dead man who's playing. It's a sign of a good team. A sign of a good team is when guys are hurt and they can still step up. But the question does remain, you know, who's the best team in the AFC? When we look at it, we want to define it. We want to know who it is. We want to root against them. Can the Colts win with Jacoby Brissett? With Andrew Luck, I thought this team was set. They have one of the best lines in football. They went from the most sacks to the fewest given up in a year's time last year. The fewest given up. They drafted Quentin Nelson, uh, Braden Smith. They added to their offensive line, flipped it around. I thought it'd be much different with Andrew Luck, but obviously Andrew Luck decides to walk away from the game. So Jack or Indianapolis took a hit as far as kind of how I regarded him in the NFL. I considered him one of the best teams in the AFC. This is uh, Charles Davis, NFL Network. He's on the call. He's on the call for the Chiefs. Chiefs are on Fox tomorrow. It's uh, Burkhart and Charles Davis on the call. This is, in his opinion, who the uh, top teams in the AFC are when he joined the drive yesterday. Well, uh, right now, I think they're the top two. I do think that Baltimore, if they can keep games close, you know, the problem they had with Kansas City was the chase. You know, at one point, what was it? What was it thirty to thirteen? So when you're when you're having to do all that, and remember, Baltimore, not that Lamar Jackson can't throw the football, but they do want to run it. They do want to have Mark Ingram and, and, and Gus Edwards, and you saw them run it pretty well, 203 yards. Take some of that pressure off the young quarterback throwing it, okay? He's still developing as a passer, and I think that he has improved, but obviously he's not on a plane in a shootout game with a guy like Mahomes. Frankly, who is? Okay, that's why Brady comes comes into play for, for, for New England. But they're the top two. I think that Buffalo, we'll find out a lot more about them this week. They host New England. I think that Indianapolis is getting their legs under them now that the the shock and everything is worn off about luck. But you have to remember, he was hurt all offseason. Jacoby Brissett took all the snaps, OTAs, mini camps, preseason camp, the whole deal. So for the rest of us who are looking at it like, wow, there's really adjusting. They've had the same guy leading them for a while now. I just think that the whole world and, and, and even themselves have to convince themselves, okay, Andrew Luck's not coming back through the door. And you guys will get a pretty good look at them, I believe, next Sunday, right? Yep. So, so they they come rolling into town, and you play them in the playoffs last year. So those are primaries. We'll have to see if anyone else truly emerges. I mean, if you go through it quickly, AFC East, right now Buffalo is the only team showing any type of of chance to quote-unquote compete with New England, and we know how that story turns out every year anyway. But can Buffalo get into a wild-card spot? In the AFC South, I think it's going to be a dogfight. I really do. I think the South is going to, we're a long way before we figure out who's, who the best team is there between Houston, between, you know, if Jacksonville's gotten off the deck after last Thursday night, we'll see what happens with Jalen Ramsey. Tennessee, I had higher hopes for them, especially after they whacked Cleveland early. We'll see if they get off the deck as well. But no one's running away with that division. Okay, so let's just see what happens there. Of course, we already talked about the Colts. The, the North, as crazy as, 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 as the North is, Pittsburgh looking like they're out of it, even though oh, at 0-3 they're really not. Cincinnati, I believe, is because I don't think they're a very good football team. But then you look at, you look at Cleveland and Baltimore. Well, Baltimore is going to set the pace early. Can Cleveland... You know, uh, you know, assume their promise of the off season when everybody's talking Super Bowl playoffs and all that. And now they've gotten stunned in a couple of games, but that division is not so far away that they can't get right back in it as well. Then out west, you know, the Chargers have had a ton of injuries, but I really think that out west, the Chargers are the only team that has a chance to compete with Kansas City at all. Good stuff there from Charles Davis. The rest of it on demand, sixteen sportscom and I agree with him. I mean, the AFC is so muddled. It's so muddled. It's, it's Kansas City, New England, top. Then pick your poison. Baltimore, can Indy get hot? Um, can Jacksonville salvage their season? Will Cleveland finally step up? The Chargers, they're right there in the mix. Although they're injured, Melvin Gordon back. But a lot of injuries that team has had to deal with. And they always find a way to charge her. But I'm curious how this thing will shake out. We'll talk to Pete Sweeney, arrowheadpride.com. Get his opinion on the top teams in the AFC next. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. We'll go back, Jay Binkley, Kramer, the Crame Dog. And, of course, we had to wake up one Pete Sweeney. My partner, my partner in crime, the Arrowhead Pride uh, postgame show. Editor-in-chief, Pete, good morning. I heard you're tired. Good morning. Uh, no, I'm fine. Wake I'm up, fine. Pete. I, I, no, you're not. You're the, not. Uh, I've, I've been working. 
I've been working this morning, making sure the website looks good. It does look great. Yeah. Pumping out that content, and uh, and yeah, now I'm ready to go and talk to you. You went straight to voicemail, Pete. Um, yeah, I was on the other line, and mm. I, I I had forgotten about the at the call, and, and here now here I am. Pete, I appreciate it, but the brand is blowing up. You, I could tell you're getting worn out. You've been doing all this TV stuff. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. You do Pete's take, or uh, I think that's what they call it, or Pete's take. Pete's take. What is it? Pete's take, right? On uh, 41? Yeah, for Pete's take on 41, yeah. All right, and then TV5 last night? Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, they'll have me on Friday nights, which is cool, and, and they'll replay the interview on Sunday. So uh, Chiefs are on Fox this week, but if you – I know. You know, usually they'll be on CBS, so you can catch that before the game. Fox, where are you? Channel 9, where are you? <laughs> Just email me at the station. Jay Binkley, 610sports.com. Yeah. Uh, I'm Pete's people. I'll get you in touch with the – in touch with Pete. Hey, Pete, you're the editor-in-chief, Arrowhead Pride, and, of course, do a lot of stuff here on 610 as well, Pete. Uh, Ned Yost, every every week you have a celebrity picker um, for the game, and you always get some big names, always get some big names, but you got Ned Yost to pick your games uh, this week? We did. If you head on over to the Arrowhead Pride Instagram, uh, we do five takes on the game, and that includes – Three Arrowhead Pride contributors, including myself. We also have a, a media personality from Kansas City. So this week it's KCTV5's uh, Danny Wolniak. I haven't and done with it. This being, and with yeah, that's, that's true, Jack. Maybe maybe one day. And, and with this and with this week being such a, such a net weekend in, in Kansas City, we, we reached out to the Royals, and, and he was willing to do it through on through on a Chiefs helmet, and, and you could catch his prediction. You know what? Ned has changed, man. Like, he's had a lot more fun since that ring. Like, I can't see Ned doing this like three years ago or even two <laughs> years ago. The sc- no, when the, when the pressure was on, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. I'm not going to give the score away, even though Kent Swanson did on Twitter, your guy. <laughs> but the score is funny. I don't know if he intentionally did this or not. <laughs> but, but, but his pick on the score does signify something that happened to the Royals. <laughs> I don't I don't know if it's coincidence or what, Pete, but I recommend people go check it out because, and I don't know if you want to spoil it because I'm not Kent Swanson, so you do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, you could, you could, you could, you could share it on the air. What is it? Ned picked 38 to 17. 17-38. <laughs> I mean, this, this I, is unbelievable. I'm sure, I'm sure that was on purpose. I, you know, I, that's no, not I, I don't know. That didn't even occur to me. Um, but I, I, you know, that, that was probably a, a, a nice little, uh, nugget that he, that he slid in there. Yeah. I can't imagine that. Uh, oh, by the way, don't forget Cody Tapp at 1130. They, they bumped the Royals game up to 115 because all the rain we're getting in the city. Hey Pete, I'm not going to brag, but didn't I call this like two days ago? You did. I mean, you, uh, you're a Kansas city sports mastermind, um, weather, you no, know, you know, prospects when they're just going through peewee football, mm-hmm. and you also have a good read on the weather, look out, Gary Lezak. Thank you, Pete. Thank you for that. Hey, uh, one, one thing I wanted to ask you, because it was a topic uh, this week on the drive, talked about it, and I played Charles Davis's thoughts, who's calling the game tomorrow for Fox uh, when he was on the drive, his thoughts about the AFC. It's so muddled, Pete. Like, I can't remember a time when you separated the Chiefs and, and Patriots I guess there was a time we kind of viewed Pittsburgh and New England, but there was always Indy in the mix when they had Peyton Manning, the Broncos when they were good. There's always, you know, a handful of four teams. You say, all right, these teams can make a run at the Super Bowl. But right now, it's Chiefs and Patriots. I like the Colts a ton before Andrew Luck retired. They went back to the pack. I'm looking right now as Baltimore is my other team. I don't know who you look at, but I look at Baltimore as the other team in the AFC. Yeah, it's so early. I mean, you know this as well as I do. I think later on in the season, these teams will be completely different. Uh, I like the guys that have quarterbacks. And, and so, you know, the Texans do stand out. I know they've gone through some struggles. Uh, if the Cleveland Browns offensive line can figure it out or John Dorsey can, can figure out how to give Baker a little bit of time, I think they could get back in the mix. But I think the Baltimore Ravens are right there. I mean, it was a little bit uh, of a score that didn't tell the whole story of the game. But I mean, lo and behold, the Ravens were within five points of the Chiefs when that game ended. And, you know, and you want to say this and that, but it, it's still within one score. And if they're competing and being right there, uh, you got to put them in that conversation. I do like the Colts. I don't think Brissett 
is as good as Luck. I think that's obvious. But to me, he comes off, you know, in Kansas City terms, as like an Alex Smith guy, a game manager who is surrounded by a lot of talented players, and they're going to find a way to win. I don't necessarily think they're a threat to the Chiefs, but I think they're in the playoffs. I think you nailed it on the head. It's it's the Chiefs and the New England Patriots, by my standards, during the 11-day stretch, and I want to emphasize here, just on the field, I thought the New England Patriots were better when they had Antonio Brown. Now that that saga has ended and nobody has Antonio Brown, I think the Chiefs and Patriots are right there neck and neck, and I'm really interested in seeing that game. I, I just think this season is a grand preview to what we're all waiting for, which is the AFC title game. And, and sometimes you see, even in baseball, you know, we just talked about baseball, where you have the championship kind of happening before the championship. Whoever comes out of the AFC, to me, is going to win the Super Bowl, and it'll be the Chiefs or the Patriots. And T.Y. Hilton's hurt quad listed as uh, doubtful. Uh, tomorrow's yeah, game that, against that's like a, that doesn't help Brissett. <laughs> no, that doesn't help Brissett at all. Speaking of quarterbacks, Pete, uh, a lot of time, you know, this week and attention spent on Matt Stafford, the best beer drink chugger in the National Football League, I might add. I'll give him that title. But he's uh, got the hip now, so he's questionable. Which questionable in the NFL? I mean, flip a coin on that one. I bet he plays. What, what kind of feeling right. are you getting about Stafford? Because David Blau is the backup, and he's a rookie undrafted player. Yeah, I mean, this is a player that is among the record holders for games in a row. I think he started like 131 straight games. I, I ultimately think Stafford goes. It is a little bit weird that it pops up. So on the injury report, it's hard to tell what really is going on sometimes. But when he's not on the injury report during the entire week and then pops up on Friday, that usually means that something happened in practice. <laughs> uh, so it could be a wait-and-see situation. Like an Eric Fisher. I, I, I think I'm 90% sure that he plays. If he doesn't, I mean, the, the Lions are down to an undrafted rookie out of Purdue uh, listed as their number two. And so, I I mean, you, if, if you're going to have a chance to sniff Mahomes and the Chiefs, you need Stafford to play. If not, I mean, it is going to be a bloodbath. What do you think, too, with, with the hip? Uh, he's not going to be as mobile as – well, he's not a very – I mean, he's okay, but he's not going to be able to move around very well. And keep in mind – you know, this Detroit Lions team hasn't given up a sack in two weeks. They give up three in week one. They have not given up a sack in the previous two weeks. If Stafford's unable to move, look for a lot of quick hitters. And again, him showing up on the injury report, like Eric Fisher did. That was a big surprise. Remember when he just shows up um, when, right. when he did? Yeah. And I look at Matt Patricia. Where's he from? He's from he's from the New England, Bill Belichick tree. They try different things and do different things. So I don't know what to think about Stafford. To be honest with you, just because of Patricia and the Patriots. Yeah, I, I I look at this game and 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 I think Steve Spagnuolo nailed it on the head this week when he said Lamar Jackson was a headache to deal with. I mean, Spagnuolo joked that he was still taking Advil from it. <laughs> uh, Stafford basically compared to what Lamar Jackson does is like a statue, and so it's almost that like weighted bat that you throw on you know before you go up to bat at softball. The bat feels a lot lighter. Uh, after you've swung this heavy bat. That's how I kind of feel about the Chiefs' front seven. I mean, it, it, coming from Jackson, it's going to feel like it's the easiest thing in the world to sack the quarterback. And, and so I think there's a big day in store for the Chiefs. You expect, yeah, I'm going to play our Emmanuel Ogba interview next as you and I had a chance to talk uh, to the leading sacker on the Kansas City Chiefs, believe it or not. You think uh, you think Frank Clark is – now, Frank Clark's played better than what his stats have shown to this point, but – yeah, what do you think we have that breakout game with him sooner rather than later? I think we I think we see a sack tomorrow. I think you see a sack at least one from Clark and Chris Jones. You know the two best right. pass rushers the Chiefs have, and then I, I even think you might see an interception. The Chiefs have been right there. Um, I, I think it's a big day for the defense tomorrow, and there's no real excuses. This is an easier team, an easier offense to defend than last week. You're in a dome. Uh, I, I I I think there's no more excuses, and the Chiefs defense really shows out. It really could be. A lopsided game. That's kind of what I'm thinking it's going to be. You going 38 uh, 17? I went 48 <laughs> 17. Damn, Pete. You still going undefeated yeah. now? Uh, if they can beat the New England Patriots, then my guy Matt Moore or Chad Henney finds a way to beat the Chargers when they need a win, then put them potentially. <laughs> Pete Sweeney, editor in chief, arrowheadpride.com. Uh, keep in mind, you get the Arrowhead Pride tailgate show with Kent Swanson tomorrow. Pete and I back at the uh, for the post game Arrowhead Pride post game show after the game. But uh, anyway, Pete, we'll uh, we'll see you tomorrow, buddy. All right, man. See you tomorrow. Take care. See you there, Pete Sweeney. Damn it, Pete. He knows better than that. 
I was so fast to hang up on him because Pete does this. You got to wait it out. Give me, give me five seconds, Pete. I mean, it's child's play here. I know you're kind of new to the game, but just, just wait out because you know I'm going to get that button in three or four seconds. But he hangs up and it goes over the air. I got to work with Pete on this. It's unacceptable. It's unacceptable, Kramer. I it mean, is? this is his first rodeo. Oh, no, it's not. The guy's on here all the time. I think he's trying to troll you. I think he knew, he knew what he was doing. He knew, he knew I, what he was doing. I, I was there in three seconds, and dude had hung it up before I could hang it up on him. And it was fast on me, too, because I was about ready to, I always hit it now. <laughs> I know. Like, normally it's like, boom. You know, it's like Pete's gone. Probably on the next TV gig. Damn it. I mentioned Emmanuel Ogbaugh for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's actually having a pretty good season. Former Oklahoma State Cowboy, Pete Sweeney, and I got a chance to catch up in the locker room. Bring you that next. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to the leadoff. Jay Binkley in for Brandon Kylie with Kramer, the crane dog, producing the operation. You're Kramer everywhere. You guys versatile. He's like the Whit Merrifield of radio. Move everywhere. I am too. I'm kind of like, you know, here and there. That's true. You're, Catch me you post game tomorrow. Bink at night through the week, then rush the field, college football. My new latest podcast is out. This podcast is a lot of fun, Kramer. I, I listened. Well, so it's Bobby Bell. He's one, of, he's one of the greatest football players to ever put a helmet on. I mean, we're lucky to have this guy in our city. We're talking national champion at Minnesota. Third in the Heisman Trophy race. Played in Super Bowl One, Played in Super Bowl Four, Hall of Famer. Had a full-time job while he's playing. Who does that? Think of today's athletes. Think of some of the prima donnas. This guy had a full-time job at GM while playing for the Chiefs. He's one of the greatest football players in the history of the game. Come on, Kramer. Give the man some love. But anyway, I'm, doing, I'm sitting down at the Smokehouse with a former Chief each month, and we, we, we discuss football over barbecue. Although Bobby was being proper, and like I was like trying to eat. We're supposed to eat and talk. But Bobby was, was so careful about because he wanted to tell the stories. But I want I want the sauce all over the place, man. I want barbecue flying. That's what I want. I want that and great football stories. Go go download it, 610sports.com, 435 Podcast Network. He talks some great stories about the Chiefs and Raiders rivalry. You want to know why the Chiefs didn't like the Raiders? He gives you great stories on why the Chiefs didn't like the Your Raiders, Kramer, didn't like them. But anyway, Bobby Bell, great stories on that. But I recommend going back and checking that out. By the way, uh, Pete Sweeney's dad, uh, shout out Big Pete. Big Pete and uh, and the missus coming to town uh, around Thanksgiving. I actually like Big Pete more than I like Pete Sweeney. You know, I don't give him as much crap as everybody else does. I like Pete a lot. Pete and I will be in here tomorrow. But I like Big Pete better. You know why? He chugs beer better than Pete. Now, I've never met him, but I've heard. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to throw down with this dude. He's coming in town. Big Pete has no idea what's coming. You mess with the bull, Big Pete, you get the horns. You mess with the bull, but he's a great text of the show. But uh, mess with the bull, Pete, Big Pete, not Little Pete. Little Pete can't drink with me, but Big Pete, it's on. Um, speaking of Pete, uh, Little Pete, Pete Sweeney, editor-in-chief, arrowheadpride.com. He and I were in the uh, Chiefs locker room yesterday, and we caught up with Emmanuel Ogba. Here's a guy that's kind of under the radar for the, the Chiefs. Nobody really talked about him in training camp. You know, they really didn't talk about Okafor much either. They talked about the rise of Tano Passanio and becoming a better player. And Frank Clark, what can he give the Chiefs? Here's a guy kind of handpicked from the Chiefs and Steve Spagnuolo to fit that scheme on the end. That size, that length, what he's looking for. Emmanuel Ogbaugh came out the same year as Chris Jones did in the draft. Chris Jones went 37th. Emmanuel Ogbaugh went 32nd. But guess what? He went in the first-round pick because... The Patriots forfeited their pick that year because of deflated balls. So he went number 32 to New England Patriots, played at Oklahoma State. We're talking def uh, defensive player of the year in the Big 12 a couple of times. The, guy, the guy's got a motor, and can they bring that back? It's one thing the Chiefs have done is trust the, training, tr trust the coaching staff to elevate the players. You notice a lot of guys that were fringe, you know, first and second round picks, Cam Irving, another reclamation project by the Chiefs wasn't working out in Cleveland. Speaking of Cleveland, that's where Ogba was. 
when he got hurt in 2017 with Cleveland, they actually they were only running the ball to his side of the field for 2.2 yards per carry. He gets hurt, they start averaging more than a yard more than that running to Ogba's side. Interesting guy, but he's off to a great start. Two and a half sacks for the Chiefs this year. Leads the team. But not only that, nine quarterback pressures. Uh, here's uh, the conversation with Pete Sweeney and I and Emmanuel Ogba. Yeah, every uh, chance I get to get on the field, you know, I try to do my best to produce and help us in the game. Also, your run defense, too. I remember reading some when you were in Cleveland. Yeah. Like, they almost got like a yard more per carry on your side. Is that something you really, you know, kind of take pride in? Because they ran the ball a lot better when you were out. Yeah. So, it's like, with me, I just thought I was stopping the run. That helps me rush the passing more, you know. So, whichever way I, I can, I just try to set the edge as fast as I can and make sure that you have to seal. So. Having that strong defensive line of Jones and Clark and all that, I mean, you, you find yourself in some favorable situations knowing that they're going to be getting attention too? Oh, yeah, you know, we got guys like Chris Jones and Frank Clark on the other side of me. So, you know, even whenever I get that one-on-one call, so I got to be my guy, you know. If they're getting double-teamed, I got to do my part. Man. You were a little uh, banged up in training camp. Can you just take me, like, how that kind of went and how you kind of come into your room? Uh, I was having a pretty good training camp until my oblique, I had an oblique train. But it wasn't nothing serious, you know, but, uh, they were just watching it. And uh, you know, I'm glad to be healthy now. What do you think has been the biggest factor that, that, that's led to some of this early success in getting to the quarterback and having those pressures? Been doubted, you know. I got traded, you know. I was the third second overall pick. I got traded from Cleveland, so you know I just feel like I got a lot to prove. So I go out there and do whatever I can. From the outside looking in, I mean, I'll be honest with you. We we as media, we didn't know how valuable Eric Murray would be. That was the compensation. Does that stick with you at all, or, or do you just kind of look at it as a business? Oh, I just look at it as like a business decision. You know, they made it. You know, yeah. I'm here now, and this is my team now. So. What is your biggest goal? I mean, I know, I know that it's a team thing. And it's, what do you want to? What do you want at the end of the season? People kind of see about you. Uh, he's a team guy. He helps the team win games as much as he can. Even if a limited role or a lot of role, he just helps the team win games. That's well, it's, one, it's one thing when you're traded. What's it like when some team wants you? Though? Like when you, you know, Steve Spagnuolo wants yeah. you in the system. I mean, does yeah. that kind of take it away? You know, being traded or whatever. When someone else, you know, well, it's always good to be wanted. Yeah. Know? Every time you want, it's always feels good. You know, they wanted me, so you know they traded for me. And, uh, you know, I'm just excited to be here, you know, help this team. I'm playoff on the team, so I'm excited. So. You know, one thing, I don't know if you keep track of it or not. You keep track of the passes defended, like you and Chris Young. Yeah. You realize same draft class, you like one above him. And he's noted, I mean, I don't know, I haven't looked at it lately. I don't yeah. know if you're tied now, but you were always just one ahead of him. You're yeah. looking at that stuff? Oh, no, I really, look, past there? Yeah, I really look at that stuff. I mean, people tell me about it. Yeah. I really look at it, but yeah, you know. That's affecting the quarterback. In this There's Emmanuel Ogbonny, very, very jovial Chiefs locker room. These guys play. They got a basket out there, and they shoot. And yesterday, the topic of conversation was LeBron or Kevin Durant. Everybody's kind of arguing about it. But Emmanuel Ogbonny, yes, one more pass is defended than Chris Jones. We think of Chris Jones swatting the ball. Emmanuel Ogbonny actually won more than he did. And then afterwards, we started talking about Gundy a little bit, but I'm going to spare you that. Talk about Gundy's mullet. Mike Gundy can recruit, man. That 2014, now he was in 2012 recruiting class, but that 2014 recruiting class, listen to this, Kareem Dog. Tyreek Hill, Mason Rudolph, James Washington. I mean, Mason Rudolph's finally getting a chance in Pittsburgh without uh, without Big Ben. Washington needs to step up. He guy's a good player. And then Tyreek Hill, of course, had to transfer there. But that, Gundy knows talent, man. Not only has he got a fabulous mullet, but guy knows talent. He knows the stuff. Speaking of speaking of Oklahoma State, Kansas State and Oklahoma State, what a game! This 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 is a good this is a good test for Kansas State. Are they for real or not? They're finally in the top twelve. They haven't been there, or the top twenty five. They haven't been there in two years. They've been ranked in the coaches poll actually the last two weeks, but they're finally in the AP. Uh, Barry Trammell uh, in, in Oklahoma has them rated the top ten. Again, tested on the road, tough place to play Oklahoma State. Everybody's so close. Those sidelines are right by the fans. They bring out the paddles. They make it loud. But that quarterback, Spencer Sanders, this guy's no joke. Threw for like 268, ran for like 109. They got a true dual threat. That was former Mr. Texas in high school. Uh, this is sophomore, his second year at Oklahoma State. And it's going to be a challenge for Kansas State because last year Nick Fitzgerald of Mississippi State gave him a hard time, you know, because he could run, throw. And Mississippi State beat Kansas State 
in Manhattan. Of course, Kansas State goes down and beats uh, Mississippi State in uh, Stark Vegas. But a good game tonight. I'm looking forward to this one. Kansas State, Oklahoma State. Hear it right here. 610sports.com, radio.com app as well. You can check out the Wildcats. Cody Tapp comes your direction in about 33 minutes. The Royals game moved up uh, to this afternoon. It was going to be a 6-15 start. Going to start today at 115. Cody comes there. But coming up next, Matt Lane, arrowheadpride.com. He had some interesting stuff about Tyron Matthew. No, he's not lighting it up as far as the stats, but he's doing many other things. We talked to Matt Lane about that next. The leadoff with Brandon Kiley, 610 Sports Radio. Busy day in college football. Looking forward to the games. Kansas State, Oklahoma State right here, 610 Sports Radio, coming up at 6 o'clock tonight. Kansas City Chiefs, Detroit Lions tomorrow in Detroit, Michigan. But now let's talk to Matt Lane at Chief in Carolina on Twitter, part of the ArrowheadPride.com family. What's up, Matt? How you doing, JD? Hey, we're doing great, bro. Uh, your Twitter account, you highlighted a lot of the Honey Badger, a lot of Tyron Matthew um, you, with the plays and everything else. Great stuff at Chief in Carolina on Twitter. Are, is he getting a fair shake or are people like, you know, the, people are kind of like, well, when's the Honey Badger going to make a big play? He's supposed to take what he wants. He's, but he's actually playing much better than what the stats would say. Yeah, I think the first couple games, people were waiting to see those big splash plays that just never really come. And it was just kind of a game plan thing. The way the opposing offenses were attacking the trees and the way they were deploying time maps, you made it easy for them to kind of avoid them, to go away from them. When you like the Chiefs are, you can avoid somebody that you know is going to be in the flat zone at some point in time. When they came to the Ravens game, the game plan that Steve Spazola had was to keep time Matthew in the middle of the field right there where the tight ends are always running for the Baltimore Ravens, and that's kind of where Lamar Jackson prefers to throw the ball. And you saw him make multiple plays on the ball, deter a couple other throws, like you finally got a game plan where he could be executed in a different way, and it went really good for him. He's the modern-day NFL player, and I mean that by a guy that can play multiple positions, you move him around. We, we've seen it a lot on offense, guys that can play in the running game, the passing game. But he, he's like, a, to me, what Tony Gonzalez did to the tight end position, he's kind of doing this with defensive players, not to that level, not to that magnitude, but you highlight one of his blitzes, and you talk about one of the best blitzing safeties. He's, what, sixth best in the NFL from a defensive back position on quarterback pressures uh, since he came into the league. But I think we forget about that. He comes off the edge, bats a ball down on Lamar Jackson. Just another example of the small things he can do. Very much, and that's the thing we and Craig Stout talked about it leading up to the season, how active Steve Spagnuolo was blitzing his nickel corners and his safeties and how that really will work with Tyron Matthews' skill set. I don't think I highlighted it great just based on that one play, but there's some other plays where when he's coming off the edge, he does a good job. He's not a pass rusher. He doesn't have a wide arsenal pass rush move, but he's very quick. He knows how to limit the contact area of his body, so an offense and a bigger offensive tackle can't really get their hands on him. And he was kind of able to scoop right around the offensive tackle. And it didn't lead the pressure as the ball came out. It's just his ability to blitz, reduce that contact area, and get around bigger players that are more used to playing in the trenches and stuff like that has been phenomenal. I think you're going to continue to see him blitz. Him and Kendall Fuller, they're going to make pressure. They're going to cause pressure when they get after the quarterback. It's just a matter of getting them in the right position to do so. Talking to Matt Lane at Chief and Carolina on Twitter, part of ArrowheadPride.com, has some great breakdowns of the Honey Badger on Twitter. Um, how impressed were you on the secondary last week, the play of Thornhill, what we're seeing from the corners? Not just the Honey Badger, but the secondary did look better last week against uh, Baltimore. I think the secondary is getting a little bit better. I think the safety play in particular is very good in coverage. I think if you want Thornhill, Tyler Matthews, they're very good in coverage. They cover a lot of ground. They have high IQ and they know what they're doing. So the run support from the safeties, both guys are very fast. They come fly forward and trigger on the ball carrier, but they just got to clean up their tackling a bit. I think between the two of them, they probably needed about five missed tackles. But when you have two coverage safeties, that's something you're going to run into. As far as the corners go, they look like they're a little bit better. I think Lamar Jackson did them some favors by missing some open guys down he just never saw. But I'm still a little worried about the cornerback position and their ability to play the ball. At the catch point is something I think will really cost the Chiefs here coming up in the next couple weeks, depending on the matchups. Well, the uh, Chiefs defense has seven sacks this season. Sacking the quarterback 
has become such a weird art, whether it's the sack, the pressure, which one do you value more? You look at Denver, their inability to get to the quarterback at times with the pass rush they have with Vaughn Miller and Chubb. The Lions haven't given up a sack in two weeks. The Jaguars sacked the Titans nine times a few weeks ago, weren't even able to get to Patrick Mahomes. Such a weird science, but we're seeing some creative things with Steve Spagnuolo as far as getting to the QB. I think pressure's definitely more key. I think pressure's what everyone's looking for, and it affects the game, not in a bigger way than getting sacked, but you can definitely cause a ton of disruption by just getting pressure on the quarterback. It causes the quarterback to get the ball out quicker. More. So I'm fine with pressure. You don't have to have sacks to be a good pass rusher or a good defense. That being said, there is an art, there is a skill to being able to finish those sacks. When you've got a player that can't finish those sacks on a regular basis, it can become a problem, especially as today's NFL is trending towards these more athletic, mobile quarterbacks and things like that. They get away, they extend the plays. So it is an issue. But as long as you're causing pressure, if you're making the offensive line adjust their plan for the likes of Frank Clark or for Chris Jones, that opens up some other players to come in and get some pressures like the Emmanuel Ogbos or Alex Okafor. So pressure's fine, sacks are a bonus, but you can win with just getting pressure. How bizarre is that, though, that Denver, you know, this concentration on defense instead of going offensive-minded head coach Vic Fangio, they go defense, and they have zero sacks in three games. I mean, that's incredible. Bradley Chubb, Von Miller, no sacks. And I know pressures and all that, but when I thought of Denver – you know, they, they, they wanted to zig when everybody else zagged as far as their head coach is concerned. I think this is good for the Kansas City Chiefs because I, I think this is a terrible mixture in Denver, what's going on. Very surprised they have no sacks this season. Kind of similar to the Chiefs. It's the, they have two great edge rushers there, and they have a solid interior defensive line, but they've also lost to Keith Tlaib and then Bradley Roby at the cornerback position the last couple of years. Their safety play, they've cycled in some young guys that are looking good, like Simmons, but they just have some question marks in the secondary, which makes it hard for those pass rushers to get home if the ball can come out in two and a half seconds relatively routinely. So they're kind of facing the same issue the Chiefs are. You have these great pass rushers. You even have a good push off the middle. You just can't land home because the ball can get out before they can get there far too often. What's your uh, game prediction on Chiefs-Lions? I don't think the Lions are a pushover team. I think they do play really hard, and they're going to play as hard as they can against the Chiefs. They're hearing all the same narratives. It's just I think the Lions try to lure teams into playing a kind of dirty, gritty game. It's like a back-alley brawl, and I don't think that you're going to be able to bait the Chiefs into an ugly, sloppy game to where you can win. The Chiefs just have too much firepower. So I have the Chiefs winning this one 38-20. to 38-20. to 20. So far, we're, we're at the quarter mark of the season, if you can believe that, once this game is played. 25% of the regular season is done. That's insane. Seems like we were just in St. Joe a minute ago. Um, overall thoughts on Steve Spagnola. How much better do you th- think this defense can get under his system? Because now Mo Claiborne can come back after week four. I think Morris Claiborne coming back is going to help, but I don't know if he's going to move the needle to another year. I like the defense. I think everything that's kind of happening in the front seven is good. I think the linebackers, safeties, everyone's playing a little bit faster. But I still think that Chiefs are a true number one cornerback away from being able to really call it a really good defense. I think they'll keep getting better as they get on the same page. I think there's still a few coverage buffs here and there. But it's trending in the right direction. They're just missing that one true number one corner that you can put on a player once you get to playing the Patriots with Josh Gordon or other high-caliber offenses that can really shut someone down. You know, Sam Madison talked about this. He's uh, he's with Dave Merritt in the secondary for the Chiefs. He's one of the coaches. He was talking about Mo Claiborne, you know, how it takes a while to get acclimated. That's what I've been saying the whole time. I mean, people think, you know, Mo Claiborne right to save you for the secondary. Here's the thing about it. He, when, he, when you're suspended, you can't even be at the practice field. You can't even be there. And, of course, you know, training camp with the Kansas City Chiefs, very limited for Mo Claiborne. But I'm not expecting this guy to be full throttle with the Chiefs till at least week seven or week eight. Yeah, now, thankfully for him, he was able to get to the team early on. So he's able to practice the team. He got his playbook just in time. He didn't have some game experience. But he's got to work his way back into game shape. He's got to figure out how the other guys are going to play once they get into the real live action. And you've had the rest of these guys have been working together this entire offseason, so they're on the same page. I just think his overall talent is going to be able to take over, especially for the style of defense that the Chiefs have been playing with the zone heavy. I think he'll be able to get some reps away from Ward sooner rather than later. Matt Lane at Chief in Carolina on Twitter, part of Arrowhead Pride. 
com. Matt, always enjoy the uh, always enjoy the discussion. Uh, thanks for having me on, Jiggy. Time to go watch uh, potential quarterback one, Jalen Hurts. There you go, watch some Jalen Hurts. There you go. See you later, Matt Lane. Matt Lane's always waiting for the draft, just like me. Let, let's let's calm down a little bit though on Jalen Hurts. You know, I still like Justin Herbert at Oregon a ton. I still like him. I like Tua a lot at Alabama. Which, by the way, his first year at Bama, played in six games. Of course, you only have to play four games. And then you get red. That's the, that's the new trend in college football. I don't know if you've seen what University of Houston's doing. Derek King's a great dual-threat quarterback. He played four games of redshirting him. Their second-leading receiver, redshirting him. This is going all around college football. Missouri took advantage of it with Kelly Bryant. Played four games, redshirting him. That way he could play for Missouri the next year. Keep that eligibility. Nance, the wide receiver, same thing at Arkansas. Four games. And then redshirt. We're past this now in college football. So if you see mysterious, you know, because four games, I mean, I like the rule. Because one, I actually like the rule. Because I like seeing guys getting that extra year of eligibility. But it's weird thinking about college teams actually tanking. Like Houston with Dana Holgerson, one and three. They're like, nah, let's circle the wagons and come at them next year. But you got to remember, donors are still the lifeblood of the program. This is the difficult part about it. Because donors pay big money. Your fans pay big money. And if you're red-shirting all your talent, you got to be careful what you wish for, too, Kramer. What happens if you take a quarterback, you red-shirt him after four games because you want that extra year of eligibility? And we see it all the time. What if the backup comes in and lights it up? Look at USC. JT Daniels goes down with the injury in week one, torn ACL. Then Keaton Slovis, true freshman, comes in, lights it up. Then last game, he gets hurt, too. The third stringer comes in, throws for over 300 yards. I mean, you got to be careful not to get Wally pipped. you got to be careful not to get Wally pipped. Anyway, uh, this is what Sam Madison, uh, Chiefs uh, assistant's uh, secondary coach, said about Mo Claiborne. And so let's talk about Matt Lane. Everybody assumes Mo Claiborne just steps right in and goes. Sam Madison, and I, I agree with this assessment by Sam, not so fast, my friend, to borrow a term from Lee Corso. Um, just like when he came in, um, you know, Coach had a Coach Reed had a, a plan for him. You know, bring him in slowly because you know he had some some things uh, that he was dealing with when he was coming out uh, last year. So the same thing right now. I mean, these guys they've been running around for the last couple of weeks. They have four games under his belt, so he's still going to be trying to catch up. Not going out there and doing those movements and pulling on guys, making those tackles. You just don't want to throw a guy out there and then all of a sudden you have a setback. But um, he's going to have a spot on this team. That's just like every other player out here. Everybody has a role. Coach Reed will work him in slowly, and we'll see just how much uh, the things that we talked during uh, training camp, how much he's uh, re- re- retained and being able to just put him out there and see what happens. So it- it'll just be fun just to see how this room starts to gel and all bodies are out there working and, and being able to match up with the teams that we'll be, be covering going forward. The last couple of quarterbacks, um, you know, been a little bit, you know, up and down. You know, Lamar Jackson, the guy that's running around all, all over the place and then is going to throw the ball up. We're going to be facing some pretty cool quarterbacks over the next couple of weeks, so we're going to have to be honed in and strapped very tightly. So, um, you know, when he comes back, we'll just see where he is condition-wise and physically-wise. Your expectation of week seven, week eight, I have no idea, you know, Coach Coach uh, Coach Magnola, he'll figure out that, and um, you know, he does a really good job of implementing, you know, guys into the system, and you know, you really don't really know what you really have until you get them under your belt and see the different movements and how they do different things. But um, they'll have a plan for him, and, um, and and he's been able to understand. He's been in our meetings and you know, verbally talking and getting up and presenting in front of the guys because we allow them to break down certain things. So uh, it's just going to be fun to just see how this group gel. They've done a very good job so far, um, you know, communicating with one another. You know, a very young group. I mean, when you talk about Tyron Matthew, who I think probably the oldest on the whole defense, you know, that is, you know, could be some concern. But they're, they're, they're learning from one another and they're growing. So, you know, we just got to keep pushing them. We'll keep giving them as much as possible. And when we think it's an overload, then we'll back off. But right now, um, they're handling it very well. There you go, Sam Madison talking about it. I agree with him. You know, just to, just to thank Mo Claiborne, step right in, play, just go right in. Now, it's going to take a while. Acclimate him. By the way, Kansas already down 7 to nothing. 11-12 um, uh, left in the first quarter to TCU. 
TCU. Alex Delton, by the way, remember him at Kansas State? He's now at TCU. He got benched, though. Got benched for a freshman quarterback. But uh, Kansas uh, down 7 nothing at TCU early on in that game on Fox Sports 1. Khalil Herbert didn't play personal reasons. Puka, though, playing in this game. Coming up next, the uh, fun argument of the week with Pro Football Focus ranking Pat Mahomes the sixth-best quarterback of the NFL. Yeah, that's, that's quite humorous. And you know what? <laughs> we can laugh about that all we want and uh, hear what some of the national perspective on that is as well. We do that next. The leadoff with Brandon Kylie, 610 Sports Radio. Welcome back to the leadoff. Jay Binkley with Kramer filling in for uh, Brandon Kylie today. Uh, Kansas still down 7 to nothing to TCU in the first. Um, Arkansas and AM. Arkansas, man. What the hell happened to this team? Anyway, I can't wait to dive into some college football. And by the way, shout out to Josh Vernon. He's getting married today. He's entering the realm of the married man. So congratulations, Josh Vernier. Never thought you'd get married, but uh, I'm pleasantly surprised you are. Seriously, for years, I didn't think any girl would ever take you. Uh, it's glad to see you getting married today. Hope it works out. Hope it works out well. But I hope you always uh, keep a uh, divorce attorney handy on that business card. You know that? I mean, I wish you the most success in the world, Josh. Uh, Kitty's a great girl. And thanks to Moose, you actually were stubborn enough to go on to the dating game on the drive. And you actually uh, met your future wife. So congrats to Josh Vernier. I'll actually be checking that out later with phone in hand watching college football. So I'll be that guy. That guy at the table kind of watching his phone and, you know, kind of paying attention to the wedding. There's going to be a speech going on. You're going to be like, yeah, but it's because you just saw something. Well, it's supposed to be an usher in the thing, right? Oh. But it's raining, so it's going to be an outdoor wedding, so they moved inside. What time's the wedding? Uh, four. So it'll start raining at three the last time I checked. Yeah, so I don't have to do anything. There you go. Just sit there and drink beer. <laughs> it's perfect. I don't have to do anything. It's fine. Sounds like a normal Tuesday Everybody for sits down at their plate, whatever, so I'm good with it. Vern, congratulations, buddy. I appreciate that. Uh, Pat Mahomes rated sixth best quarterback in the NFL, and many are uh, talking about that, which I think, find it extremely funny. Mark Schleirath, who uh, played with the Denver Broncos uh, on the offensive line, for him to give credit to anybody for the Kansas City Chiefs is amazing because he hated the Chiefs, and the Chiefs hated him. But it's always nice when a rival gives him props. This was Mark, and I love this, because we've already Shannon Sharp went off about the whole incident um, about Mahomes being ranked. But Mark Schlereth, stink, uh, commented on Mahomes being the sixth rank in uh, Pro Football Focus, and I love this. Mark, did they get this right? Uh, no, but, you know, I mean, I, like, one, I have to be careful because I don't want to irritate people, but I'm just going to irritate people. Like, <laughs> what, what's your criteria? I, I don't, like, I, I love the fact that you're going to grade quarterbacks without having context of game plans, responsibilities, all the different things. And I get that you have to look at the film, and I get that you have to make an opinion on somebody. But how Patrick Mahomes, who's on pace to throw it for 6,000 yards and almost 60 TDs, is your sixth-ranked quarterback, to me, makes zero sense. And you watch him. You know what the, the Kansas City Chiefs are with Patrick Mahomes? They're Globo Jim. They're white Goodman. We're better than you, and we know it, mm. and that's who they are. And that guy makes throws that nobody in the NFL makes. Just, I'm sorry, he just does. Mm. And you watch the design of Andy mm. Reid. They design two free touchdowns a game, mm. and guess what? They got a guy that can pull the trigger and mm. make those throws. Mm. Not only that, and I go back to his first year last year, watching him look off coverage, understand where he wants to go with the football, and just throwing dimes. Like, mm. how you have him, the sixth-ranked quarterback, is beyond me. And I love pro football. That's uh, Mark Slayworth that was on Undisputed. I love pro football focus. I really do. Because I love the college stuff they do. They do great. But sometimes they make mistakes. Don't forget Dorian O'Daniel that can barely get on the field. His last year at Clemson was the highest-rated player on Clemson's defense. And we saw the first-round picks from Clemson's defense the year after Tom Brady was one. I get that one. I mean, he's the GOAT. Two is Dak Prescott. Three, Carson Wentz. Four, Russell Wilson. Five, Deshaun Watson. Six, Mahomes. You kidding me? Seven, Derek Carr. 
I mean, that is a Grand Canyon-sized gap between Mahomes and these guys. I mean, the numbers he's putting up, intended interceptions, should have been an interception. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Did you throw the pick or not, damn it? He didn't. He's got 10 touchdowns, zero picks. Out of that group, who you take? You're taking Mahomes. Mahomes is a proven winner. <laughs> it's it's funny. But you know what? I'm, I, I love PFF. I think they do a great job breaking down football. But sometimes we get a little crazy. And I've been known to be that guy that, oh, because I, I, I recite their numbers all the time. You know, when someone grades well, I recite their numbers all the time. This, I don't get. Mahomes does so many things. Andy Reid does so many things offensively. Dan Orlovsky, the former quarterback, broke it down on ESPN. It was great. Just the motion that he does, you know, sending Hardman in motion, sending the back a different direction. It had the linebackers going two different ways. And then you got Mahomes hiding the football. Great play action fake. I don't think he's enough credit for the play action stuff he does because they're all watching him. And what's he going to do? Hides the football for a couple of seconds. That's usually when someone gets nailed. But he sold it so good. The Ravens were just screwing up. They're guarding the Chiefs on the left, the right. Travis Kelsey catches the ball over the middle with the play action by Pat Mahomes. It's the little things like that that he does that I don't think we appreciate. But he, he's he, he's having fun. He's making the game of football look easy. And this is a very, very difficult game. Thanks to Brandon Kylie for letting me sit in today. I'm back tomorrow, Airhead Pride postgame show with uh, Pete Sweeney as we break down the Chiefs and Lions uh, once the Royals game is completed. Cody Tapp. Worked late uh, last night, got rained out, but they uh, got the loss. So, Cody on last night. Cody back today at 1130 for 6-10 Saturday. Huge thanks to Matt Lane and Pete Sweeney for joining me today. And thanks, as always, to you, Cream Dog. Thanks, as always, to you. Good luck, Cody Tapp. Go see him. Gate 8, left field. Get two more days to see Cody today and tomorrow. We'll see you guys uh, later. Go Chiefs. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.